The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. Good morning, Grace City Church. I hope you had a good break. Take the time to meet some people, grab some pastries. Uh, we're going to carry on with today. Uh, my name is Francis. I'm one of the life group leader here along with my wife, Rachel. And it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you this, month, this morning on this uh, very special Easter Sunday service. Uh, so, obviously, being Easter, today is a bit of a special morning. But also, we've been going through this series on miracle since the end of February. And today, we're going to take the time to uh, bring it to its apogee and talk about the ultimate miracle, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Shocker. Talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus on Easter. I bet you didn't see that one coming. All right, this morning, uh, I think we're going to bring it down to the basics. Um, the story of the cross is very central to the message of the gospel. It's at the very heart, heart of it. Uh, and the story, honestly, is quite well known in popular culture. Maybe you ventured in a movie theater 10 years ago and got to catch The Passion of the Christ, or maybe, uh, if you're like me, you went to Sunday school in the 90s and you had little felt figures put on boards and moving around because we didn't have anything fancy like projector screens and speakers to, to explain the story of the gospel. But even within the context of pop culture, outside of the church, uh, the story of Jesus dying on the cross is very well known. In fact, even for someone that may not have any background in the story, just the fact that Christians wear cross as the symbol of their faith, uh, gives them the idea of how important the cross is for us. Statistically, if you're here, the chances are that you know the story, not only because we read through the scriptures this morning and Rich read through the, the children's book, but just because you've heard it other place. So this morning, we're not going to focus so much on the narrative or the history of it, we're going to focus on the meaning, because that's what resurrection is all about to us as Christians. So, I talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Easter story, as being the ultimate miracle. I'm going to bring the notch one more notch up. I'm going to say it is the single most pivotal event in human history. Now, I realize it's a bold claim, but we're going to see why I think it's also a true claim. So, why is it so pivotal? Well, it's certainly not because of the manner in which Jesus died. Uh, we've been conditioned in our society, especially with Hollywood, to, to think of deaths that are epic or heroic or honorable. Uh, let's go through some examples. Let's think about William Wallace, if you've seen the movie Braveheart. Uh, dying on the field of battle, and this death inspires an entire people to rise against the evil English king. Let's think about Boromir from The Lord of the Ring. Uh, throughout the whole movie, he's got this redemption arc that brings him to sacrifice his life to save Merry and Pippin. Uh, let's think about King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans fighting against unbeatable odds, 300 against a million all that to save their homeland and their family. Now, let's contrast that with the manner in which Jesus died. He died on a cross. 
which at the time was probably the most humiliating punishment that could be inflicted on someone. He did not die alongside his companions, or alongside nobility. He died between two common criminals, two rebels, the scum of the society at the time by any metric. And his death at that very instant did not spark a revolution. It did not inspire people at that very moment. In fact, his own disciple, Peter, being the case here, denied they even knew him. Yet we know that at the time of Jesus' death, there are some supernatural thing that happens. For example, the veil was torn between the most holy and the holy, signifying that we should now have access to God. Mankind's separation from God has been removed from the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So from that, we can gather that the death of Jesus is significant, but by itself, it is not what makes it the most pivotal event in human history. Okay, so back to your original question. Why is it so pivotal? Is it because of the resurrection in itself? Well, resurrection is nothing unique, especially not in the context of the Bible. There's actually quite a list of resurrections that are talked about in the Bible. Uh, we'll go through it. I think it'll go on the screen. So in 1 Kings 17, we hear about the resurrection of the widow's son in Zarephath. In 2 Kings 4, it's the resurrection of the Shunammite son. In 2 Kings 13, it's the resurrection of the man thrown from Elisha's grave. Mark 5, we hear about Jairus' daughter. Luke 7 is the young man at Nain. John 11 is the resurrection of Lazarus. It's probably uh, the, most, the second most well-known resurrection story. We hear about the resurrections of unknown saints during the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, obviously, the resurrection of Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, and finally, in Act 20, the resurrection of Euthychus. So from that, we can see the resurrection of Jesus is just one along a long list. Yet, we're here because it's Easter. We've earmarked our calendar because one of the resurrections on this list. That's what sends it apart for all the reason, and that's why we should see it as being different. But the resurrection itself is by no mean unique. Jesus is the only resurrection that we celebrate. There's a chance that you're here this morning because it's Easter. You wouldn't be in church otherwise. But in celebration of this, you change your schedule. What warrants such action? Well, what makes it the most pivotal event is not the death in itself or the resurrection in itself. The resurrection without the death doesn't make much sense. And if we're only celebrating the death and not the resurrection, uh, it would be a very grim celebration to just celebrate the death. It's when they both come together and become the embodiment of the plan that God had for us, this plan of redemption. In John 19, uh, we are told what Jesus' last word right before he, he gives his last breath. And he says, it is finished. What is finished is that his death on the cross marks the accomplishment of the divine plan for our redemption. And that plan 
is the very message of the gospel. There's not much better way to explain the plan of the gospel than to use probably the two most memorized verses uh, around. So, I mean, feel free to, to say them along because I'm sure most of you have memorized them. But John 3.16, that's number one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then to put that into context, we have Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the plan. That's the significance. And that's why Christ went on the cross. Because of our sin, we fall short of the glory of God. We have committed the crimes, and now we must pay the price. Except for the fact that Christ, dying on the cross, paid the price for us. Through his sacrifice, we've been imputed, we've been assigned his righteousness, and therefore we are justified. Now, what's very interesting about the Easter story is that even people that were in on that plan had a hard time understanding it or, or imagining uh, how much beyond it went what they were expecting. If we look at all the, the people in Judea, the bystanders that were around uh, Jesus while he was on the cross, even going to the chief priest, they see him on the cross and they mock him. But those are people that are expecting a Messiah. They have this expectation about what a Messiah should be. Granted, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for, but they should at least understand um, the amplitude of the significance of the Messiah. Yet, let's look at the insult they hurl at Jesus. The first one is from the bystanders. They say, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. And then the chief priest right after, come around and say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. That's their expectation of what the Messiah should be. Someone that would just save himself. Come down from the cross. That's the thought they have for him. That's the expectation. That's the prove me you're the Messiah by doing this thing. Because they associate coming down from the cross as being the fulfillment of all the prophecies that they've been raised into, that they've studied their entire life. It clearly falls short of the miracle that Jesus had in mind that he accomplished. The same thing can be said for people that actually followed Jesus for his entire ministry. Let's look at the disciples. Uh, last week, uh, we heard Jesus ask the disciple, who do you think I am? And for Peter to reply, you are the Christ, which essentially means you are the Messiah. So they understand that Jesus is the Messiah, and one would assume they also understand what the Messiah is. In Luke 24... Uh, we're told that Jesus explained it to them plain and simple. He says, The Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. That's pretty straightforward instruction as far as prophecies go. 
I'm going to take an example from my own life to, to illustrate uh, the point I'm going to make. When I was 15, there was a movie that came out, Star Wars Episode Three. Huge Star Wars fan in my teenage years. I wanted to go see that movie. I didn't have a prophecy, but I had a trailer that told me when the movie was going to be released. And so I called the movie theater, because yes, back then we had to call to get movie theater tickets. And I made sure that I was going to be there for the midnight release of it. And at midnight on a Thursday night, it was a school night. Super hard to convince my parents to let me do that. But on that Thursday night at midnight, I was in line for the release of the movie. Why weren't the disciples at the tomb on the third day for the midnight premiere of Jesus' resurrection? The prophecy was there. They knew he was coming. But somehow there's something that blocked, that they couldn't envision the magnitude of what was going to happen. In fact, uh, as we saw in the story this morning, it was Mary Magdalena and Mary, mother of James, that first found the empty grave and had to go all the way back to the upper room to tell the disciples, just for one of them to actually realize, oh shoot, I missed the premiere, and run all the way to the grave to find it empty. Even the disciples that received all the teaching of Jesus, that were in his presence for like the better part of three years, still couldn't fully envision what was going to happen. Now, as we're going back to the taunts about Jesus just coming down of the cross, why were those the taunts of the day? Actually, why didn't Jesus do that? Why did he have to stay on that cross? Why couldn't he just save himself? I mean, the Bible also talks about people that have evaded death. If we look at Genesis 5, there's the story of Enoch. And then in 2 Kings 2, we hear about Elisha, both of which were taken away by God, uh, essentially escaping uh, the concept of, of death as we know it. Um, the Bible doesn't shy away from telling us that Jesus was very much apprehending his fate. Uh, the night before he was arrested, or the night he was arrested, uh, he's praying in the gardens of Gethsemane, and he's begging God, is there another way? Or in his words, like, take this cup away from me. At the end of the day, though, he knows that there's no fulfillment of this plan. There's no fulfillment of God's mighty plan without him ending up on a cross. It's pretty grim. And it's a wonder that like, it was the only way. Because if we look at the Bible up to that point, he had said more or less everything he had to say. Uh, if you want to see it purely from a narrative standpoint, you take the death on the cross and the resurrection, you've removed a few chapters of text from the Bible. Uh, surely that can't be such a big deal. But in reality, it's quite the opposite. If you take the cross out of the Bible story, you are taking the entire essence of the Bible. Jesus died and he rose again in fulfillment of the law. In the Old Testament, the law was given to Israel as a way to demonstrate or exemplify what a godly life would look like. It was not guidelines. It was not a user manual, per se. It was the law. 
And they didn't have baseball by then, so it wasn't three strikes and you're out. It was one strike and you're out. If you cannot accomplish what the law says, then you fall short of what God wants for you. It's very unforgiving in that way. And if there's a purpose for the law, really, it was to exemplify that there's not a single one of us in here that can accomplish that standard. There is no way. Only one man in history has been able to accomplish that standard, and it was Jesus. Over the centuries, though, uh, being the humans that we are, um, the religious leaders of the time find many different ways to justify all the little weaseling around and the, the loopholes that they came up with to, to justify that, well, in reality, maybe we didn't fully transgress against the law because, you know, all, all the little whys and because that you tell yourself to justify uh, your sin, really. Jesus came back and he put them back in their place. He told them that you can't weasel your way around the law. The law is what it is. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, though. He came to fulfill it. I'm going to get into uh, what that means. Because if we look at all the self-righteous people that are trying to justify themselves, well, if we look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, he teaches us that the righteousness, even our more most righteous acts are just like filthy rags in the eyes of God. It's better explained by Paul in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because Jesus died to take her punishment on the cross, we are no longer bound by the law. Because of a sacrifice, not only are we justified, but we also now have access to a direct relationship with God which was not possible under the law. Now, that all happened 2,000 years-ish ago. That's a long time. That's pretty much as long as the Maple Leafs have been without a Stanley Cup. <laughs> so how can it still be relevant today? Well, if you were to look purely at the Easter story from a historical or narrative uh, viewpoint and just try to, to look at it for its historical value, you might be tempted to equate it to other significant events like the signing of the Magna Carta or the signing of the Armistice at the end of World War I. Those are obviously important events that have shaped the world as we know it today. The world would be very different without those events in place, but it's not something that you go around your day and be like, oh yeah, Armistice, oh yeah, Magna Carta. It's not central to our lives. Those are just events that have shaped their surroundings without having a direct impact. But as a Christian, we can't put those in the same category as the death and resurrection of Christ. Because beyond the historical value of it, because how it shaped the world at the time in the ancient Near East and the Greco-Roman era, it also has a significant redemptive impact today in our lives. Paul explains that uh, in a lot of his writing. When he writes the church in Thessalonia, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. 
From that, we get that our entire hope as Christian is in the story of the death and resurrection. He also read the church in Corinth. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Those are harsh words. If Jesus had not died and risen, then you being here is just wasting your time. Me being on this stage is wasting my time. Because without the cross, it's all meaningless. If you extract the cross from the Bible, if you extract what it means, what happened on that day, then the rest of the Bible is either a nice historical account at best or gibberish at worst. That's how central the death and resurrection of Jesus is to our faith. And if we are to live by faith, then by definition, that's also how central it is to our life. Justification, which is the moment on the cross where Jesus imputed or assigned his righteousness unto us, is only the beginning of our journey, though. It's the beginning of the journey of sanctification. I guess we could describe sanctification as being uh, the long journey that chips away our sinful nature so that every step that we take along that path, we become more and more like Christ. Sometimes it can be, let's call it easy, or at least uh, instantaneous. Uh, everyone, or maybe not everyone, but I know for myself, I, I've known people that have given their life to Christ and there was an immediate change, an immediate noticeable change on how they behave, uh, what they believed. Um, so sometimes that change, that, that path of sanctification, at least part of it, can be a little bit easy. But in my experience, I know that most of it is actually really it can even be grueling sometimes. Whether it's trying to kick out bad habits that have rooted themselves so deep in your life that you, there's almost more roots than, than tree. Whether it's facing addiction where not only you have to, to face a, a spiritual and a psychological component, there's also a very strong physical component um, in, in place. And there's also the fact that we're very often our own worst enemy. Uh, as I explained earlier, we're champion at justifying ourselves for what we do. We're champion of finding reason why we're not that bad, or at the very least, not as bad as the next guy, and somehow that's good enough. Either way, in both, whether it's easier and it's hard, the grace of God is the main actor here. The change that happens in someone that just has a full 180 is because of the grace of God. It doesn't happen by itself. And for the person that is fighting in the trenches, engaged in a dogfight against their own sinful nature, it's only through the grace of God that you get the strength, the wisdom, and the courage sometimes to just keep on fighting. All of this is possible because of the sacrifice on the cross. There's just simply no other reason. I have been at Grace City for just under five years now. And for the people that have been following me since the beginning, uh, I'll try to put this nicely. I used to be a little bit less polished. Uh, I would swear like a sailor, most likely because I'm literally a sailor. And <laughs> I was living in a prison of my own sin, sometimes completely feeling powerless in front of crippling addictions. 
I think everyone that knew me at the time would have given me failing grades in patience and maturity. And if anyone ever saw me as a father or husband, I would say that they have great imagination. It's been a long journey for the last five years, I'm not going to lie. Thankfully, uh, I'm not where I was back then. That's not to say I was a young Christian by then either. I'd been a Christian for decades at that point, but it was just the point of that journey where I was. Yeah, the last five years have been hard. They've been painful at times. But I'm only there because of what happened on the cross. There was times where I had completely lost all hope. I would look at the way ahead, and I could not possibly envision a world in which I wasn't powerless in front of addictions, or I wasn't completely corrupted by my bad habits. But the cross makes that possible. It just opens the way so that we can see, we can conceive that future. We can get our hope from the idea that what lies ahead of us, God has already accomplished when Jesus died on the cross for us. The death of resurrection is what opens us the way to have a direct relationship with God. It's the only way that God could make that possible, and that's what gives such significance to the event that we commemorate this morning. The most defining moment in, for me in the last five years was not the last time I cussed like a sailor. It wasn't the time I got married or I got a child. The most defining moment of my life is when Jesus died on the cross for me 2,000 years ago because it made everything else possible. 